You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Well, if you take your Bibles, I'll tell you what. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. Can you quote that one? Ephesians 3, verse number 20. I think when you look at it, you probably can. Now unto him that is able. Okay, yeah, here we go. Let's, let's read that one together. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Let's read that again. Together, begin. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open to Jonah chapter number 3. Jonah chapter number 3. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I want you to keep that in your mind as we look at a passage here. And I hope to be a blessing to you tonight. I hope to be an encouragement. Uh, Whenever I first, in some of our first conversations with Pastor Eli, he told me he wanted me to tell some of the family story about victory in Jesus and all. And I'm going to incorporate that into the message tonight. And I hope that you don't think that, well, that guy just got up there and he's just full of pride. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. I tell you what, I I am humbled that God would be able to use us and I'm, I'm honored to be able to preach now. I'm honored to be able to serve him and I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my heritage. You grew up in church. Dad was a song leader. Mom was a church secretary. Got saved when I was four years old. At my house, mom taught the beginner class, which at four years old, I was in the beginner class. And she taught using flannel graph. Y'all know what flannel graph is? Yeah. And so on Saturday night, we would get the Sunday school lesson because she was practicing on us kids. My brother, who was three years older, me, my sister, who was two years younger, and then our other sister was around, but she, wasn't, she, was, in the, she was in the baby crib. And so we were sitting there, you know, cross-legged, and mom told the story. She practiced everything. At the beginning, okay, kids, we're going to zip our lip. Everybody together, one, two, three, zip. She would do that to keep the kids quiet. So we would do that at home. She practiced everything. She told the story. I don't remember what the story was that night. But she told the story. She practiced the invitation. Now, how many of you would one day love to trust Jesus? You'd like to trust Jesus as your Savior. One day you're going to get saved. You know, me and my sister, we'd raise our hand. I think my brother had already made a profession. And she said, okay, kids, off to bed. And I said, no, Mom, I want to get saved tonight. I want to get saved tonight. So we went in the living room and knelt at the couch there. And uh, I trusted Christ, accepted Christ. I was about two or three weeks short of five years old. And uh, I, I was thankful that I was raised in a Christian home. That's just what we did. That's just what we did. We just went to church. 
I mean, everything that was centered around church, and it was a blessing. I am so thankful for that. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into this. But I want us to do a little Bible study tonight to get us into it. We're in uh, Jonah, and you know the story of Jonah, but did you know that Jonah was a prophet? This was not the only thing that Jonah did was, was, you know, run from God. He was a prophet at the same time as Amos, he's preaching to the northern kingdom. Remember, the kingdoms are split. He's preaching to the northern kingdom, and he's telling them the message from the Lord that you need to repent or, or judgment is coming. And he was preaching. Amos was preaching at the same time. This event happened about 50 years before the, the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians. And so he's preaching, and God to- tells him that uh, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh, to preach to the enemy, to preach to the ones that, that Amos and others are saying is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they're going to be the ones to take over Israel, the northern kingdom, and punish them. So he's preaching repentance, he's preaching faith, he's preaching obedience, and God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah says, no, not going, because I know what you've told these other men. I've heard their messages. There's no way I'm going to preach to these folks, because these folks are vile, they are wicked, they are murderers. Jonah was prejudiced against the Assyrians. He did not like it. They were like Hamas. You read about what was done to the Israelis. That was the Assyrians, and that is not an exaggeration. You kids that are in Christian school, if you're in the uh, Abaka program and you go through the world history and you read about Ashurbanipal, and uh, I think it was Ashurbanipal, uh, you read about the, uh, the 100,000 clay cuneiform tablets that uh, the library there in Nineveh, And it was all about how they could torture people, punish people. And that's all that our history book says because you can't say what they did. But it's there. So Jonah had a legitimate, in his mind, a legitimate reason for not wanting to preach to these folks like Hamas or ISIS or Al-Qaeda in the past. God says, I'm going to destroy them. Jonah says, great. Destroy them. I'm not going to preach to them. So he gets on a boat. You know the story. The storm comes up. Instead of headed towards Nineveh, which is over land, if you think about your geography, instead of headed to, to Nineveh, let's say that this was, let's say that the platform here is the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, then I'm thinking, okay, if you're looking, hang on. Yeah, if you're looking at it, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and you're looking at a map. Over here, then, would be Israel. And then way around here would be Assyria and Nineveh. So Jonah gets on a boat here, and he's headed to Tarshish, which is on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, if you know your map there of where Spain is. It's on the other side of Spain, on the Atlantic side of Spain. It's amazing how far somebody that's running from God will go, huh? He's headed the opposite direction. Well, they get in the middle of the Mediterranean, and you know the waves are crashing, and storm comes up, and they're 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 trying everything. And shipmaster comes to Jonah and says, "Jonah, we're about to die. What are you gonna What are you doing? You need to be praying to your God." Jonah says, "I'm I'm good with dying. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready." He told him to throw him over. <laughs> they cast lots, and they finally did. They threw him over, and and. Uh, 
God prepared that fish to swallow him. And then while he was inside, he repented. The fish spits him out. Chapter 2, the last verse, the Lord spake unto the fish. It vomited Jonah on the dry land. And then begins chapter 3. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. So Jonah gets spit out of the, spit out of the well. He's got 500 miles to get to Nineveh on foot. And in those days, you know, 25 miles a day, maybe. Let's say 25 miles a day. That's going to take him a number of days to get there. About 20 days to get to Nineveh. Then he gets to Nineveh and he walks through Nineveh a day's journey. So it's a huge city apparently because he's walking 25 miles into Nineveh. And when he gets there, he goes to the... um, he goes to the office depot and he gets some posters made and he gets some flyers made and he gets some door hangers made and he gets all this. And we're having a great revival meeting. Y'all need to come out. No, that's not anything like what he did. He gets to Nineveh and he preaches. And this is what he says. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people are asking, what are you talking about, Jonah? What are you saying? Yet 40 days, and, and, and we'll be overthrown. And, and Jonah says, that's what God told me to tell you. He didn't tell me to explain it. I'm just telling you. Do with it what you want. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Take it or leave it. It's amazing to me. Nineveh Nineveh preaches. Jonah preaches eight words, and the folks in Nineveh fall all over themselves repenting. They get right with God. Eight words. Do you know how many words I have to preach (laughs) to get a holy grunt out of people? (laughs) Do you know how much preparation it takes to preach? And Jonah gets up there, and a whole city revival takes place in eight words. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's just me looking at that, and I get a little frustrated over it. Uh, you know, he preaches a crummy message, and people repent. I, I shouldn't say crummy. That was what God told him to preach. God, forgive me for that. That was not supposed to come out. Look what they did in verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. You know they were serious then. Put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And that was a sign of mourning. That was a sign of humbling themselves. Look at verse number six. This is the king. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne (coughs) and laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth, sat in ashes. This is the king. Now look what the king said in verse seven. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. 
Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Okay, I, I get the repentance. I, I get what he's saying there, but it's always comical to me. Understand, I spent most of my ministry teaching high school students. Bible class, history class, mostly. Some math classes. And um, teenagers are silly sometimes. But we get to this. And so I kind of have a teenage mentality in a lot of these things. So I, I read this like a, uh, from a teenage mind for so many years trying to get this across to them. How did they get the cows to put on sackcloth? How did they get the cows not to eat? You know, I was raised in North Texas. You know, a lot of cattle. I mean, every time I see cattle, they're out there, they're eating, chewing the cattle. They're always eating. You put them out in the pasture, they're not going to stand there. Okay, guys, we're not eating today. King said, we're fasting. No water. <laughs> yeah, but that's what the king said. I mean, I think he was exaggerating. He just, he's trying to get it across to these folks. We got to do something. We got to do something. <laughs> and so, anyway. The point is, he meant it. He meant it. And this is what I want us to look at tonight. Verse number nine, he says, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from this fierce anger that we, that we perish not? Who can tell? If we'll do what God says, if we'll follow what the preacher's telling us from God's word, if we'll just listen, who can tell what God's going to do? Who's gonna, who can tell what God, he might deal differently with us in our, in our life. Jonah didn't even preach repentance. He didn't tell him what to do. He didn't tell him to get right with God, give up this and give up that and do this and do that. He just said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the king listened and he said, we gotta do something. And if we'll do something, maybe, just maybe, God will do something. Who can tell? Who can tell what God can do? If you and I will respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, who can tell what God's going to do in our lives? Who can tell what God's going to do in the the life of Gethsemane Baptist Church? Who can tell what's going to happen in Long Beach, California? If we'll listen, who can tell? Pastor, do you think that, you know, given to missions, do you think it's really going to... I mean, all I've got is 20 bucks a month extra... Do you think it's going to make a difference? Who can tell? Who can tell? Who can tell if my, you know, preacher, you think of me volunteering for the ministries and getting involved in new ministries and doing something different and getting out of my comfort zone? You, you think that I could really ma- maybe make a difference? Who can tell? Who can tell? Who can tell? We've got a missionary that uh, it's kind of a crazy story. I can't tell you the whole thing, but uh, single lady, single young lady just out of college. She knows my children because they had, well, my children have children. She knows my, my, my family. She knows my grandchildren. Uh, and uh, they had visited her family on the mission field. And, and uh, anyway, she came just last August and Preached at our church. She didn't preach. She presented her field at our church, and we introduced her. Uh, Becca Pape is her name, and and uh, she's going to the deaf in Brazil. It's just see the need, take the lead. See the need, take the lead. She was in Dominican, and she 
uh, was forced really to learn the deaf sign language, and so that's that's another wonderful story of God's grace. But but she saw a need, and she said, "That's what I'm going to do." She went on deputation, and within about a year, she's got 100 percent. Who can tell? Who can tell what's going to happen with the deaf in Brazil? A couple of weeks ago, she sent us a letter to the church and said, look, pray, my visa was rejected. My visa was rejected, religious visa. We're looking to see what we can do. I contacted her last week because we have her on a prayer list. I said, okay, what's going on? What's going on? She said, well, I just reapplied. This was on Wednesday of last week. She said, I just reapplied. On Saturday, we got the email. The, the, the secretary gave it to me on Monday, and, and Becca was rejoicing. Her religious visa got approved. Who can tell? Who can tell what God's going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you think my little offering, you think my little bit's going to help? You think, you know, Pastor, I can't sing in the choir. I, I just, I can't do much. Who can tell? Hey, Jonah knew what was going to happen. Jonah knew, and that's why he didn't want to preach, but Jonah knew. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. Here's what happened. God saw their works. They turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not, but it displeased Jonah. Jonah knew what God could do. Jonah knew, and he was very angry. He prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. He said, I knew what you were going to do. He said, I knew that you're a wonderful God. I know that you're a merciful God. I know that you're willing to save. I know that you're willing to change people's direction in life. Who can tell? God, I knew. Jonah could say, I know. I know the Lord. I know who can tell. There was a Sunday school teacher. You've heard the story. His name was Ed Kimball. Ed Kimball, a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. And he had a young man in a Sunday school class named D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody was working at his um, brother's, brother-in-law, uncle, uncle's, uncle's shoe store. And uh, Ed Kimball was, was shy, not very outgoing. D.L. Moody was totally opposite. Ed Kimball was a little fearful of, of speaking to him, but he knew he needed to talk to him about his salvation. He walked past that shoe store, couldn't get the courage to go in. Walked past it again. Finally, he got enough courage, he went in and asked where D.L. Moody, where, where Dwight was. He was in the back, sock and shoes. He went back there and just kind of fumbled around. And the account that I read years ago, he just kind of fumbled around. Um, right, um, it's good to have Dwight. And, and Dwight Moody was saying, what do you need, Mr. Kimball? What do you need? Go ahead, spit it out, spit it out. And Mr. Kimball said something like, are you 100% sure if you die today, you're going to heaven? And D.L. Moody said, No. But I sure would like to know, what do I need to do? <laughs> and Ed Kimball got to lead him to the Lord. Who can tell 
what was going to happen, led a great revival in Chicago, led a great revival, a leader of the great revival, the second great awakening here in America, nationwide revival, preached in England, preached all over the world. Who can tell what God can do with a Sunday school teacher? Just be faithful to the Lord. Who can tell? Who can tell? Some of, some of the folks that I've talked to know, we call him Uncle Jerry, Jerry Patel. He's a member of our church. Um, well, Jerry, he's preaching. To, well, he preached tonight. They're done now. Well, I don't know. Uncle Jerry might not be done. But uh, <laughs> playing drums in a bar room. Elopes with, we call her Aunt Vicky. Goes into Mexico and gets married because they're too young. She's too young. She's 16. Takes her into Mexico. They get married. Come back and tell their families. Eventually, they, they get married here in the States too. But God got a hold of him. Saved his life. Saved his soul. He's working for Fisher Enterprises in Baton Rouge, which they are doing. They're, they're making, they, they make uh, valves for the oil business, which is big. Exxon is there in Baton Rouge. Dow Chemical is in Baton Rouge. It's now a multi-million dollar business, and he was the one who established that in Baton Rouge. But while at the beginning, at the beginning of those days, God got a hold of his heart and said, I want you to be a missionary to kids. And so he began, he gave up his, gave up his career Today, he would definitely be a retired millionaire. Gave up his career to preach to kids. And if you listen to him preach, you would think that he doesn't even like kids. But God has used him and used him. And he was preaching in Napa, California and led Jason Scott to the Lord. Who can tell? I got to call, I heard that story. Jason told me, I asked him about his salvation. I said, was it Brother Mike, Ray? And he said, no, it was Jerry Pertel. I said, oh, my soul. Uh, I got to call Uncle Jerry and tell him. I called him yesterday afternoon, and he said, who would have believed? Who would have believed? Who can tell what God will do? Who can tell what God will do? Who can tell? We had the conversation at lunch today with, uh, with, uh, with, with the pastor and his wife, Miss Faith, and I was asking, okay, how old were you? <laughs> Any memories of Baton Rouge? Not many. But that young family with two daughters moving to California, moving to Napa, who could tell what God was going to do at that church? And then daughters and sons serving the Lord in California and, and places, and, and the pastor's wife here, who can tell? Who would have known? <laughs> who would have known that whenever they pulled out, what was it, 1988 or something like that? 88, 87, somewhere in there. 88, when they pulled out of Baton Rouge and a much slimmer, skinnier Brother Bartlett and his wife saw them leave, who would have thought that decades later that I would be preaching at Faith's Church, married to, to, to Brother Eli, who can tell what God's going to do with our lives? Who can tell? Who could tell? There was a man, young man, his name was Gene. He was a good singer. He was, um, 
And, and of course, like a lot of folks, like a, some of the country and western country singers, they, they, get, they got to start in church, singing in church choir, singing at church. So he's singing at church. And he's on up into, uh, I'm not sure exactly, but he's, he's a young man. And as he stepped away, as he's headed down, a deacon who was on the platform, a deacon came up to him and just kind of whispered in his ear, said, Gene, when are you going to get saved? Made him mad. Walked out of church and said, I'm not going back there again. Dropped out of church, dropped out of school. Back in the 19-teens, staying out late, carousing around, doing whatever they did in the 19-teens to carouse around. He came home one evening and his mama was praying. And the windows were open and and his mama was praying, and his, and his mama said, Oh, God, if you don't save Gene, I think I'm going to die. God, if you don't save Gene, I think I'm going to die. He heard his mama praying. God smote his heart, convicted his heart. And he gave his heart to the Lord because of his mama's prayers. Resumed singing. Well, first of all, he had to go back to school. Went back in those days in a one-room schoolhouse. This was the story that I read. He went back to school at 26 years old, one-room schoolhouse, had to make it from elementary through high school, continued on into college, got several degrees. One of his degrees was a Bachelor of Oratory degree, which is abbreviated B.O., which back in the day was another abbreviation for body odor. And so, you know, folks gave him a a hard time over his B.O. degree. But he began writing music, began singing, began publishing music, married a preacher's daughter, had two sons, Gene Jr. and Charles. Who can tell? Began writing music and 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 teaching music, and at one of the teaching at one of the singing schools that he was teaching in Oklahoma, he had a stroke, nineteen thirty-nine. And that ended, his, that ended his teaching career. He was p- paralyzed on one side. Uh, fortunately for him, he was paralyzed on the right side. He was left-handed. Confined to the house. Continued to have strokes. In those days, they didn't know about the medicines and things, and so you'd have a stroke, and then you know, the blockages, another stroke, another stroke. Eventually, he's going to be bedridden, but, but before he got that far along... He, uh, he wrote the last song out of the 800 or so that he wrote. I mean, some of the earlier ones that he had written, Everybody Will Be Happy Over There, Just a Little While to Stay Here. Um, but the last song that he wrote, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. He got to the second verse. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again, caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. He didn't ask for healing for his body. God, help me to accept what you've done. Come and heal my broken spirit. 
somehow Jesus came and brought the victory. And then that last verse, he wrote about heaven. I heard about a mansion he's built for me in glory. That was my granddad. He had two sons, Uncle Gene. Uncle Gene wrote Set My Soul Afire. Uncle Gene, uh, if you see a Bartlett name in the, in the Baptist hymn books, it's either Uncle Gene or my granddad. They both have the same name, so you really kind of have to know which one it was because sometimes they'll call dad, Granddad Gene, Uncle Gene, E.M. But nonetheless, God used, who could tell? A mama's prayer, a mama's prayer, praying for a son. Who can tell where that's going to go? Uncle Gene served for many, many years. My dad served, I told you, served as music director at our church. There was a young lady in Melvin, Texas, 13, 14 years old. She went into a, she, she went to the, there was the Protestant Methodist, no, no, no. There was the Lutheran church and there was the Evangelical Free Church. They went to the Evangelical Free Church. They were at a revival service. And during the invitation of the revival, the pastor's wife came up and put her arm around Della and said, Della, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Are you saved? And she said, no. Della, don't you want to get saved? Yes. And Della trusted Christ. And that's my mom. Who could tell? So my mom marries my dad, who is Charles Bartlett, whose dad was, whose, his dad was a songwriter. They have four kids. My brother was a pastor till God took him to heaven. My sister plays the piano at their church. Her husband's the assistant pastor, youth pastor at their church. My other sister up until this year was the church secretary. She'd been church secretary for 30-something years at a Baptist church. Who can tell? Who can tell? Started back there with that, with that praying mama. Gene getting saved. Who can tell? Uh, we're going to stop right here. We're going to sing victory in Jesus. How about that? Can we, get, can, can we come to the piano? In your songbook, it's in there somewhere. If you need it. Five, 523, if you need the words. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Let's sing that together. Sing together now. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood atoning Then I repented of my sin And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and he bought me With his redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew him And all my love is due him He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood Just, I've got something else The Lord reminded me 
We're going to sing that second verse in just a minute. I never knew granddad. My, my parents didn't get married until after granddad was already in heaven. But I did know his wife. We called her Mama Barty. She lived in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And uh, we got word when I was in high school, I think my sophomore year, that Mama Barty had been at church and some incident on the street or in the parking lot. She got startled by a car passing by. She fell and broke her hip. She was in a hospital in Fort Smith. And again, this would have been in the early 70s, and the technology then was not as good as it is today. And she had other health issues. So Dad went to the hospital. Uncle Gene was in Oklahoma City, went to the hospital. Dad in Wichita Falls, Texas, went to, drove to Fort Smith. Uh, we drove back and forth a couple of times. In those days, kids couldn't go to the hospital rooms. So I never got to see Mama Barty, but she was at the hospital. And then Dad made another trip. After we got home, Dad made another trip. And he was on his way home, and Uncle Gene had left, and he was on his way home to Oklahoma City. And the, the Holy Spirit, it seems, spoke to Uncle Gene and said, uh, Gene, if you want to see your mom again, you need to go back. So he turned around, went back to the hospital. He walked in the room where Mom Barty was, and and she was singing, I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. She got right there, stepped into glory halfway through that verse. Uncle Gene would tell the story. Yeah, she, she stepped into glory and dad took the lead and mom took the alto and they finished it on the streets of glory and sang about heaven. Let's sing that second verse. I heard about his healing. Together now. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blood and then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever he sought me and bought me. With his redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew him And all my love is to him <coughs> To victory beneath the cleansing flood Stand as we sing the last verse together now I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea about the angels singing and the old redemption story and some sweet day up there the song of victory lift it up lift it up now oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me yeah. I 
all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And all God's people said, you can be seated. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Who can tell? Who can tell what God will do if we'll surrender to his call? Who can tell if you'll just say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do? Who can tell what God could do? Jonah knew something, even though he didn't like it. He knew God could use him. He said, well, 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 Pastor, what do you think I should do? I think you ought to do exactly what Jesus leads you to do. If he's put in your heart to get involved in ministry, well, I missed the sign up. No, you didn't. Just get, just get signed up. <laughs> yeah, when I was a young man growing up at church, I'm sitting in the choir Dad's leading the choir. By the time I get into high school, I'm in high school choir. We were a pretty good high school choir. And I begin to learn a lot more about choral sound and making music and running rehearsals, being in high school choir. And about my sophomore, junior year, I'm sitting back and I'm listening and I'm watching and I'm hearing Dad direct the choir at choir practice, and I'm thinking, Dad, the altos haven't got it. You need to go over that again. They have not got it. If you would... Dad, the basses don't have it. The sopranos are flat. There was nothing ever wrong with the tenor section, I can tell you that. We were always... The point is, at that point, God was putting in my heart, you can do this. You see this. You can do this. I didn't mention this today at lunch. They were asking about, did I ever think I was going to preach? Never. Or pastor. I've done a lot of preaching at the church there. Never considered, never wanted. I was content to be the second man. (coughs) But what was happening in the later years of Brother Buchanan's life, whenever he was getting older and he was sick, he was sick, kidney failure. And then when Brother Bob Jr. would preach, and sometimes when guest preachers would preach, and I wasn't being critical, but I'm sitting back over here and I'm thinking, if they would use this verse, this verse would tie that up. Oh, I could think of an illustration. This would be great right here. I was not being critical, but things were happening in my heart. This is what, oh, this is what I would say. And then when God began to work in my heart, all of those things were, all those things came back to me about pastoring. I said, okay, now I understand. Because I'd always told the teenagers, I'd always told them, you're looking at the adults and you're being critical and thinking you need to do this and they ought to do this and the youth pastor ought to do this. God's working in your heart. He wants you to do their job. That's one way that you can know that God's, hey, the, 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 the young folks is that we can do better. Hey, great. Let God use you. Volunteer in all thy ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. What should I do? You do exactly what the Lord leads you to do. Well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Who can tell? 
Who can tell that a, that a young man from Wichita Falls would wind up in Baton Rouge and get to fly to California and preach about Who can tell what God could do? Who can tell? All I know is that God is good. He's willing. He's able. He's faithful. He's kind. He can save and he can save anybody. And he wants to, he wants to use anybody who will just yield. It's not always the smartest It's not the brightest. It's not the most talented. It's the ones that say, I just want to do what God wants me to do. And he will do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. Who can tell? Who can tell? It began with these folks in Nineveh. The same way it has to begin in our hearts. We have to surrender. Repent of the evil in our life. Surrender. And these folks responded publicly. Now, not everybody got to see and asked them. I, I, I'm sorry, everyone got to see, but nobody, not everyone asked, oh, what are you repenting of? I see you've got sackcloth and ashes on there. What are you repenting? No. But it was obvious. Folks were getting their hearts right with God. Folks were repenting. It was visible. You know, think about this. If they'd ignore, ignored the message... They would not have experienced God's mercy. They would have died in their sin and eternal destruction. I'm afraid sometimes our young folks, sometimes our adults, ignore God's call. Who knows what's going to happen then? I don't want that to happen to you. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a prayer in my heart over the last six, seven years God, would you call some of our young people again? Would you call some of our young people to the, to the mission field? Would you call some of our young men to serve the Lord and youth pastor, music director, pastor, missionary? Would you call some of those folks? Would you call some of those young people? Who can tell? This past summer, we had one of our families visit. They took a mission trip on their own, went to Honduras, visited some of our missionaries in Honduras. There was a need there in Honduras. They found out about the need before they left. I didn't know that they knew before they left. But when they got to Honduras, one of the teachers in their lower elementary had had to leave. They needed someone to fill the spot. And this family's daughter, not their oldest child, but their third one down, said, I can do that. And so she didn't come back home. She stayed in Honduras. No deputation, just graduated high school, but who can tell? And she's made a commitment to help out with their kindergarten and, 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 and daycare there. And she said, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know I can do this right now. What's going to happen after a two-year commitment? Who knows? Who can tell what God's going to do? Who can tell? Young folks, I want to encourage you. God leads you. I, I, I loved when I was a young person, getting up and singing. Getting up and singing, and it wasn't always for the right reason. I know, I know myself. It wasn't always for the right reason. I was hoping Jackie would be there and hear me sing. Sometimes she was. That's my wife, y'all. That's my wife. That is not my girlfriend. No, she is my girlfriend, too. But anyway, let's just go on. We get to hear the preaching. We get to experience the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Will you yield? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Who can tell? Who can tell? 